this evening. We find ourselves in the book of Nahum, comes after Jonah, after Micah, in case you're looking. It's in, these, in these Bibles, it's a little difficult because you, it's a one-pager, so if you flip past it, you're out of luck. Um, before we begin, uh, I was notified that Rex had sent a text message asking for some prayer. He is at the doctor's office right now, potentially with bronchitis. So um, staying true to form, uh, the sickness is continuing uh, to run rampant within our body. So we need to continue to have that as a direct prayer. Uh, I'll pray for him when we pray uh, uh, for our time tonight as we're opening up Nahum. Uh, uh, first, I, I just say what? Well, that's why he's sick then. Uh, that makes sense now. Yeah, Renee's out of town. He probably just didn't know what to do and just got sick. Uh, <laughs> Or he's trying to force her back. Uh, you know, he's... Uh, <laughs> anyway, so we, we need to then... Uh, we'll pray for him in a moment. But uh, just by way of reminder, and you should have... Hopefully everybody has a handout and a Bible. If not, raise your hand in the air and we can get you what you need. Uh, but uh, by way of reminder, you know, the purpose tonight is not for us to read Nahum chapters 1, 2, and 3, verse for verse. And then after reading that, for me to open up a critical commentary and give you every single piece that you need to know about Nahum. However, my desire is that after we finish, that we might have a tool in our handout, that we might have a few verses to begin to hinge around, that you might have some thoughts in your mind that will allow you to move through Nahum when you come across it again in a bit more mobile way, uh, that it might not be so intimidating to open up to, say, a minor prophet like Nahum that is, uh, granted, uh, not very popular. Nobody really gives him the time of day uh, uh, in, in a real kind of meaningful way in evangelicalism nowadays. Uh, but uh, uh, that's not to say that there isn't God's truth here and that that truth is not applicable to his people now. And so my hope is that as we open it up, uh, we might have that moving forward. Uh, what do y'all know about Nahum, speaking of his unpopularity? Y'all know anything about him? He was Jewish? That's a good guess. I, I think so. Yeah, it's a prophecy against Nineveh. Interesting. Close to a prophet who prophesied against Nineveh as well, right? Uh, but then, of course, redemption came. We'll talk about that in a second. Speaking of Jonah, uh, so, you know, we find Jonah and Nahum speaking about the same city. Well, anything else? That's right. That's right. You know, uh, Elkosh had to be in the southern kingdom because, and here's some good, uh, here, here's some good stuff about Nahum. Uh, he he kind of dates himself by some of the things that he's doing. He's, he's preaching about Nineveh, which means Nineveh's still there. Uh, and so Nineveh goes away, by the way, in the lower 600s B.C., late 7th century B.C. He also mentions the destruction that has already happened of Thebes. Uh, or Thebes, that is that place in Egypt, which is kind of mid-7th uh, century B.C. So he's, he's somewhere in this kind of uh, uh, a mid to low 7th century B.C., which means for us, really, that Samaria, the northern kingdom, is gone, all right? But uh, uh, Assyria hasn't fully laid bare uh, the destruction 
of the southern, or uh, that is, they haven't gone away, and Babylon hasn't come to destroy uh, Judea, Judah, Jerusalem. So they're in this in-between where Manasseh, the king of the time, is paying tribute. Uh, Judah is kind of uh, under the foot, as it were, of the empire of Assyria. Um, but but uh, it, it's kind of the heyday of the Assyrian empire, and it's kind of the I think we're okay day of the southern kingdom of Judah. They're in this in-between. That's kind of where we find Nahum and time. Uh, the theme, as you see on your handout, uh, is an intense one. God judges those opposed to him. As I said before, this is intensely applicable for us today. Uh, and it really speaks to the heart of the gospel, believe it or not. I hope you believe it at the end of our talk tonight. But let's pray first. And remember, we're also going to remember Rex in our prayers. Heavenly Father, Lord, indeed, we do pray for our brother Rex that uh, at this doctor's checkup, it'll be nothing more than a scratchy throat. Lord, let it be so. And yet, if it is something like bronchitis, Father, we pray for the doctors that are looking at him, getting him the right medicine. We pray for Rex that he indeed would heed the wisdom of his physicians and rest as he is called to. Lord, please be with him. Bless him. Also, Father, as we open up your word to Nahum, bless our look into your word. May indeed we see Jesus Christ, the Savior of us. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Nahum, uh, uh, the theme is that God judges those opposed to him. We'll get to the remember points in a moment, you know, the header that I have added for our benefit, hopefully to just kind of help us move through it a little bit. We'll get there in a moment, but uh, just, just for a bit of overview, a bit more than the context and the timing, you know, what's actually in this book? It's three chapters. As I said, you know, you might flip past it if you're just kind of looking for it. You know, it, it's not very long, uh, and, and that's what oftentimes we do is we flip past it because one of the key um, uh, uh, a genre pieces or, you know, it's thrust, kind of what Nahum is actually writing. Uh, it's very polemical. It's very intense. It's very judgment-oriented. It's difficult to find, as we have before, right, uh, in the other minor prophets, these shining moments where we're like, oh, yeah, okay, there's the gospel. I'm okay with this minor prophet now. Nahum is a bit more intense. Uh, he, he's writing this judgment of the capital city of Assyria, by the way, Nineveh. Uh, so this is post-Jonah in all likelihood, uh, 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 well, in, uh, certainly post-Jonah, by a couple hundred years. You know, as you remember, Jonah went to Nineveh, albeit through the belly of a fish rather than what the Lord was telling him to do. We've gone over Jonah. He went to Nineveh and they repented in dust and ashes and were preserved for at least a couple hundred years. However, the Lord uh, uh, um, uh, was there, and then they turned away from him. Uh, and it's very obvious, because now we have an oracle concerning Nineveh, uh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. And what we see here uh, is the intense and heinous sin that was happening, in all likelihood because of their direct association with the empire of Assyria, known likewise for their intense and heinous blasphemous sin, not only against the Lord, but against all the earth. Uh, they were earth scorchers. That's what the empire of Assyria was known for, killing everyone, burning everything, taking over everything, and leaving nothing in their path. Uh, 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 very intense. And so now we see Nineveh, the capital city, being uh, uh, kind of finger pointed at by God 
And he's saying, yeah, I'm about to destroy you for what you have done. It, it's, it's very, it, it's like a taunt. Uh, it's like the Lord is a warrior. Uh, it would be like a warrior standing kind of like Goliath did, if you recall David and Goliath. It's like the Lord stepping out onto the battlefield, standing there and saying, come on, let's see if you can take me on for real. You've been killing all these minor countries. Come at me and see what happens. Uh, I am against you is something that we see uh, mentioned a couple times in these three chapters. I am against you. Nineveh. Assyria. Uh, let's talk about the structure a little bit, and then we'll talk about our two points. It's going to be very quick. Uh, it's nice because, you know, in these smaller ones, we can walk through it quickly and then maybe have uh, some time for discussion. So here's the structure. In the first chapter, we get a psalm. Very nice. Uh, this this uh, oracle of, of uh, judgment begins with a song of praise unto God. It's a song of praise uh, that we'll see some pieces of, uh, but, but the song of praise is very obvious. It's the first uh, uh, kind of section of chapter one, and, and it's uplifting this sovereign warrior, protectorate, avenging, good, he uses that word, good, God. Nahum is beginning uplifting his God this sovereign who is going to not only protect his people, but judge those who are opposing him. Remember, that's uh, the theme that we see in Nahum. From this chapter one, from this kind of beginning uh, like placement of God on the battlefield, if we wanted to keep that motif, we see chapters two and three, uh, where the real indictments come. Uh, this, in chapter two, you see the reasons why Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Why, uh, the reasons why. Uh, the scatterer has come up against you. Uh, desolate, desolate. You know, we see all these things. And then uh, in chapter 3, woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder. No end of the prey. The crack of the whip, the rumble of the wheel, galloping horse and bounding chariot, horsemen charging. He's speaking of how they deal with others and how he is going to deal with them. And so uh, it's, it's this very kind of straightforward, uh, there's a psalm placing God where he needs to be as a, a sovereign, ultimate, powerful warrior, avenger. And then from there, it's as if he goes forward on the battlefield to do what he is saying he is going to do, which is judge those who are opposed to him. We'll see a bit more of this. Chapter 3 has something unique that happens. Uh, it's, a, it's a slow descent into judgment in a way. There, there are shining lights every moment and again in chapters 1 and 2. And then chapter 3, those lights are cut off just as Nineveh is cut off ultimately and will be destroyed. And we'll see that as we look at our points. So uh, you look at the headers. Remember, humanity is currently opposed to God. And God delivers his people. The first one, humanity is currently opposed to God. You know, we're talking about the Assyrian Empire here, right? Uh, what hath the Assyrian Empire to do with Centennial ARP? You know, uh, we're looking at this and what we should do, and rightly so, is place ourselves within the context of the Judeans. Okay, we're, we're sitting here receiving God's word, and we're looking at a world around us that, unlike Assyria, is not kind of slaughtering wholesale, but is, uh, 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 is absolutely against the true proclamation of the gospel. 
The world and the church can sometimes almost accidentally partner with one another, but it always breaks and slams open, and the chasm reveals itself as soon as we begin to proclaim the gospel constantly and over. There's a very obvious divide about what it is we're seeking to do and what it is the world is seeking to do. And so in one sense, when we look at the book of Nahum, we think, yes, yes, Lord, you are coming. You are all-powerful. You are a warrior on the battlefield coming to deliver and protect us. Praise be to God. And we indeed can see that. There is another very important overarching view that's happening here, though. And it's that, ju- uh, that God is judging those who are opposed to him. And this is the moment where we need to remember that humanity, humanity itself, us is what I'm saying, is currently opposed to God apart from Jesus Christ. Uh, this is the first part of the gospel. Some ministers like to call it the bad news that you know brings on the good news or something like that. I, I don't do well saying it, but I, I, maybe y'all have heard that before. This is that first part, right? Why did Jesus have to come anyway is sometimes a question that you ask. It's because of this. It's because, uh, and if you wanted to go all the way back to our Genesis study, remember Adam and Eve, they fell, right? They sinned against God. All their progeny since then have been fundamentally corrupted and opposed to God and his will. It's the reality that we live in. It's the reality that we confess when we uh, uh, place ourselves at the feet of our Lord and in need of Jesus Christ. Because that's why we need Jesus. We were fundamentally opposed and we couldn't get back right. Even when we tried to get back right, we couldn't do it. We kept sinning and opposing ourselves, turning our face from the Lord. Humanity is currently opposed to God. Uh, I might say it in a bit more extreme way. Humanity, in a lot of ways, is like the Assyrian Empire at all times. Uh, We find ourselves in this status of, of turning against the Lord, going down our own paths, even when it looks good. It looks good because we're the ones looking at it. Uh, when we zoom out and we see from the objective standpoint of the God Almighty of the universe that we serve, we realize that we are absolutely wrong, that we were in opposition, and that we need Jesus Christ. Uh, we see this in many places, and we'll, we'll kind of go through uh, some Bible verses, I think, that will help you see that in here. But that's the first thing that we need to look at. I've said this before, I, I believe, from the pulpit. Uh, it's, it's worth mentioning again, who do we associate in the with who do we associate ourselves with in the Bible? We always want to be the good guys. Always. We never want to be those that in all, in all probably reality are the ones that we are in the Bible. Uh, and, and so, for instance, you know, when we look at Jesus and the disciples, uh, when we uh, look at these faithful men following Christ, we never consider ourselves to be one of the people in the crowd. One of the sinners, one of the bystanders, one of the ones who would just willfully choose not to believe. One of the naysayers, one of the ones who would point at Jesus and say, why don't you just get down off the cross if you're God? Why not? We never put ourselves there. We always want to be the good guys. And maybe we would have been. But it's very dangerous to begin to assume that every time we open up God's word, to assume that we're always the good guys as we walk through this life because we know we're not good. How do we know that? Well, we said it before, right? 
because we acknowledge, when we acknowledge Jesus Christ as our Savior, that we are fundamentally opposed to God who is good, which means, in a lot of ways, we stand on evil. And we always seek to remove that, right? And that's what Jesus Christ does. And that's, that's how we move forward in humility. And so it, it's, a, it's a very important point from the beginning to look at Nahum in a way and see what, Lord, are you seeking to reveal to me here? What, Lord, could this be that we may not be Judah all the time, though we hold on to that promise of deliverance, that indeed we do find ourselves in that sinful category, in that Assyrian category, because we are indeed opposed to the Lord apart from Jesus. Humanity apart from Jesus is opposed to God. But we can't say that without saying the second part, and that's the second remember. God delivers his people. This is a super important point. It comes up in every book of the Bible uh, because it's just the stone cold truth. And I have said this before and I'll say it again. We act to, li- we act to like this. Uh, we act to act like we like this truth. Oh yeah, God certainly delivers his people. Nobody else. It's all God. We like to act like that's a great truth until we try to strap up our brute straps and save ourselves over and over and over and over, right? We try a little bit harder. If I just try to uh, demolish this sin in my life, whatever sin it might be, if I just try a little bit harder, I'll do it. And yet we fail. Or we like to ignore it and act like we succeeded. It's this reality that God delivers his people. You know, we see one main character in the book of Nahum, God. Uh, it, it's like that in a lot, of the ma- uh, lot of, a lot of the minor prophets. You know, we don't get Nahum in here. There's no personal pronouns or anything like that. Uh, it's just God. God is speaking. God is speaking that he's going to judge. God is speaking that he's going to deliver. It's God. It's all God. It's always been God. And we can rest our laurels on that, not on ourselves. It's a very important point. Uh, uh, not only of Nahum, but of many of the other prophets, particularly in this uh, era. But, but we, we look to that and we hold fast to that. And if we remember that, it can be very helpful as we're reading the book of Nahum, maybe through some of that very intense judgment prophecy, as we begin to see what's happening, as we remember that, that, uh, that none are righteous, no, not one, that humanity is opposed to God. If we remember that God is delivering his people, that gives us a context to work through some of these very intense kind of oracles. And, and that's it for Nahum, right? Intensity, 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 judgment, 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 the end. It can be very difficult to read something like that, but if we remember these two things, we start to get a framework. And now, uh, 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 to kind of end, we'll go through some of, the, uh, some of the Bible verses on the back of your handout. And I think this is going to be where we can start to put uh, this stuff um, to work. So on the back of your handout... I've kind of changed it up for our solid rock verses. You know, sometimes uh, it'll just be straight up. You know, there are just some very obvious ones like some Christmas time prophecies, you know, some, some crucifixion prophecies, things like that that just need to be laid out. In the book of Nahum, what we see are these couplet-based uh, um, truths, this, uh, this, this and that, 
uh, kind of reality uh, that we begin to see. And, and it plays itself out in more ways than just this that I have listed. But these are some very, very good examples, the cream of the crop, as it were. And as we walk through this, we'll begin to see those two remembers that I was asking of y'all. Remember that humanity is opposed to God. Remember that God delivers his people. The first is Nahum chapter 1, verse 3. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. It's the first one. The Lord, that's, this is a psalm. The Lord is slow to anger. Man, praise the Lord for that. The God, the God of the universe who we are fundamentally opposed to is slow to anger. The Hebrew word, he's got a really long nose. That's what it says. He's got a really long nose. That means when he gets mad, you know, uh, my nose doesn't get red when I get mad, but my grandfather's did, you know, and his nose would just light up, you know, and he like, Rudolph, you know, you're like, uh-oh, uh, granddaddy's mad. But uh, you see that he's slow to anger, so he's got a long nose, so it takes a long time for him to get upset. That is good news. That means that, that God is working, that there is something happening, that there's not instantaneous judgment, which there certainly could be, because God is God. And when we are opposed to him, God can do with us as he wills, judge us as he wills. But he doesn't. There's time in between. There's something playing out. We know the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know that that's salvation, that there's mercy and grace to be had from our Lord. And so, and so we see this in, in Nahum chapter 1, verse 3, the first part. The Lord is slow to anger. He's great in power. But then the second part comes. The Lord will by no means clear the guilty. He will by no means clear the guilty. This is not the first time this has appeared in Scripture. Uh, it happens in Exodus. You know, Moses, show me your face, Lord. Show me your face. He said, uh, well, you need to hide. Don't want to destroy you, but you can hide. I'll let you see my tail in. And what does he say? Yahweh, Yahweh, you know, a Lord, faithful, merciful, steadfast love, who will by no means clear the guilty. How does this work? This is what someone should say when they read this. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. Praise the Lord. But who will by no means clear the guilty? What? What are we to do? That question comes up often. Uh, do y'all remember in the book of Numbers, Aaron had the staff and the staff budded, right? The almond blossoms budded and he was chosen to be in the presence of the Lord. Uh, everyone loves it. It's such a beautiful picture if you recall the story, but something happened right after that, a dialogue between some of the elders and they said, woe are we, woe are we. What then shall we do if we can't come into the presence of the Lord? They, they were questioning, what, what do we do then? Ha! How does this work? And that's the question that we should be asking. That's a good question because the Lord has the answer. It, it's beginning to mesh these two truths together. That the Lord, he, he judges those that are opposed to him. That humanity is now currently opposed to him. But there is deliverance to be had. This is how the gospel begins to play out. And we're seeing it here in Nahum. Let's continue on. Nahum chapter 1 verse 7. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Praise the Lord. The Lord is good. Good is a good thing. The Lord's not some old man in the sky uh, uh, just kind of doing with us as chess pieces on the board. That's not what good entails. Uh, the Lord is not vindictive. Uh, you know, I did this to 
you know, to so-and-so, and, well, this happened to me because of that, this kind of karma-oriented. Yes, there are consequences for our sin, but there, there is not this kind of vindictive nature, uh, this childish uh, kind of revenge nature that we see. Uh, no, this, this God, he is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. But when we see Nahum chapter 1, verse 8, but with an overwhelming flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. There it is again. Nahum chapter 1, verse 12, the first part. Um... Sorry, this is, oh, I was looking at the wrong chapter, excuse me. Uh, Nahum chapter 1, verse 12. Thus says the Lord, though they are at full strength and many, they will be cut down and pass away. Uh, they, is the, uh, the empire of Assyria, though they are at full strength, uh, this is the implication. He's talking about Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital city of uh, Assyria, though they are at full strength, what is God going to do? He's going to cut them down and they're going to pass away. Uh, we see this, yes, Lord, come, deliver us. The second part, though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. Yes, Lord, praise God. In this first chapter, we're beginning to see this juxtaposition of God's people and of the people who are opposing God. Uh, we see what God is going to do as he's judging in righteousness and power and strength, uh, and he's delivering in, in righteousness and power and strength, uh, because though I have afflicted you, that second part of verse 12, that's talking about Judah. It's, he's addressing his people, and the only people that are left now is Judah. They're all gone. Israel has been wiped off. There's only a clan Left The Benjamites have combined a little bit with Judah. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. Yes, Lord. There's judgment and there's deliverance. Let's keep going. Nahum chapter 1, verse 15, the first part. Behold, upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes uh, peace. Y'all know where that comes. Uh, Paul quotes that. Romans chapter 10. Uh, he's, he's really quoting uh, uh, Isaiah, but we find it here as well. Uh, this, this reality that, that God is working and that people can talk about it and that others can come into it. Behold, what a good thing. What a beautiful messenger. Behold, upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. And then we see the second part, though. Keep your feet, O Judah. Fulfill your vows. Here comes the judgment. For never again shall the worthless pass through you. He's utterly cut off. Uh, this reality, God's righteousness is doing two things at once. His character is being fully revealed. His righteousness of deliverance and his righteousness of judgment. Nahum chapter 2. There's only two more. Nahum chapter 2. Verse 2. So we come out of the psalm. Remember what I said the psalm was, right, in chapter 1? It was an uplifting of who God is and of what he is about. Well, then we hit the ground running in battle, in judgment, as it were, in chapter 2 and chapter 3. And so what happens is a, is a, a fast forward, a speed up. Whereas we had these couplets uh, that were either in the same verse or were right next to one another, now we get these couplets that are sandwiching the chapters, and they are utter judgment upon Nineveh. But there is still deliverance to be seen in chapter 2. Nahum chapter 2, verse 2. 
For the Lord is restoring the majesty of Jacob as the majesty of Israel. For plunderers have plundered them and ruined their branches. The Lord is restoring the majesty of Jacob as the majesty of Israel. The Lord is delivering his people, is what he's saying. From who? And how is he going to do it? Chapter 2, verse 13. Behold, I am against you. He's talking of Nineveh declares the Lord of hosts, I will burn your chariots in smoke and the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth and the voice of your messengers shall no longer be heard. It only gets worse for Nineveh in chapter three uh, because whereas we saw a bit of deliverance, a bit of light as the people are reading this book and they're saying, yes, Lord, you are coming. All of a sudden, everything shifts And whereas we were seeing the character of God in these multiple facets, a God of mercy and grace, a God delivering, likewise, alongside of that facet, another facet, a God of righteous judgment. Those who oppose him in utter strength will he come and destroy in righteousness. In chapter 3, the only facet that we see is judgment. Nineveh, that Nineveh, by the way, that had repented, Hundreds of years before. That Nineveh that was delivered from destruction. That Nineveh, if you recall, that Jonah was so upset about that he almost blasphemed his God. Said, I would have rather not even come because I knew you were going to do this. I would rather have died rather than see Nineveh, our great enemy, delivered. But in God's mysterious providence, God had people that he needed to deliver. In that city, at that time, nevertheless, judgment was coming. Jonah, dead, did not get to see it. And I think that that was a good thing because I think that Jonah was able to grow in holiness because of that event. However, Jonah's desire, it was fulfilled because it was the Lord's desire, because Nineveh indeed was incredibly wicked, had partnered themselves with those who are incredibly wicked. And because of that, judgment was coming as they opposed their God. And so chapter three, woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder, no end to the prey. Chapter three, verse five, behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts. Goes on and with some very stark language, a very intense poetic language. Chapter three, verse 19. This is the very last verse. You know what I say? You start with the first verse, you end with the last verse, you usually get uh, what's in the middle. This is how it ends. Chapter three, verse 19. There is no easing your hurt. Your wound is grievous. In other words, not curable. All who hear the news about you clap their hands over you. For upon whom has not come your unceasing evil. God judges those who are opposed to him. And this is where we take the book of Nahum. And before setting it down, and before simply saying, yes, God indeed judges his enemies. Uh, Before we simply say, yes, God does deliver his people and we are his people, praise be to God. We need to stop and we need to recognize that all of humanity is indeed opposed to God apart from Jesus. Without Jesus Christ there to stand in between us and this warrior protector God, this avenging God for those who are opposed to him, we indeed would have found ourselves in the empire of Assyria, in Nineveh itself. God, though, delivers. 
And God reveals that to his people. But lest we become prideful and step away from such truths, we must always remember where we came from. It's very important. And I think it's an exclamation mark in, uh, uh, mark in Nahum because it, it's so heinous. Assyria is, is kind of the uh, caricature, the, the uh, zoomed in, the uh, stereotypical sinner of the day and really uh, uh, would make the top 10 uh, in this world. Uh, the death and destruction that came alongside this empire uh, was real. So, uh, you know, in Nahum, remember these couple things. Uh, remember not to just glance over it as you're reading this judgment uh, uh, kind of prophecy, but remember to see that there is deliverance within there, that God is working on behalf of his people. He's giving this word to his people, not only that they could be encouraged, that they might see that he's really the only one who is going to save them, and he is going to save them, really. He's really going to do it. And more than that, uh, that indeed the mercy and the grace bestowed upon us because we, sinners that we are, were opposed to him. And yet apart from him, we would have been destroyed. But we are not apart from him. He drew us to himself. You even can begin to see that and grasp onto that, even in this little book, even in this little minor prophet, even in this one that we neglect because, ah, it's just judgment stuff. That's not going to work in our culture. No, there's much more there. There is a God who is working for his people, and there is also a very righteous God, one who will judge those who are opposed to him. Questions? Hit me. Babylon. So Assyria, a massive uh, war machine, they began to uh, decline. Babylon was on the rise. They came, swept through everything, and then, of course, continued their conquest on down, crushing uh, absolutely raising uh, Judah on the way. Yeah. Any other questions, thoughts? It's an intense little book, but there really is much to be mined there. I hope that this is a help and a tool if you ever come across it again. You know, it, it's tough because in a yearly reading plan, you read it in one sitting and it's gone. You might even move on to an, the next book or something like that. And, and that's one of the deficiencies, I think, of uh, our yearly reading plans is because, whoa, what, what was Nahum there for? Why is it here now? Uh, there's something to be said uh, to stop and to ponder. I hope that this little uh, handout will help you with this talk. We're just saying, gee, that, teacher, that's right. If, you know, I, I tell people a couple things. You know, Dr. Uh, Thomas is, and Dr. Ferguson are known for saying, uh, kind of riffing off of Romans, if you've never considered sinning because you are saved, you haven't fully recognized the grace of God, but should you sin that grace may abound? By no means. You know, that's kind of when they're riffing off of that Romans passage. I always say something a little differently, uh, but it kind of has that same flair, that same feel. If you've never considered that God is the God of the universe, and that apart from Jesus Christ, if we stepped into his presence, we would be literally obliterated, Adam for Adam, and gone out of existence forever. You haven't quite recognized who God is. Uh, and, and if you, you know, and that's the moment where when you see Jesus as a babe, when you see Jesus going to the cross, and what does he say? I could call a legion of angels and wipe everyone out and be justified and go up to my Father in heaven right now. But he didn't. 
When you begin to see these in that light and you recognize this is the God of the universe, the one that not even Moses could look at but had to stay behind the cleft of the rock unless he too was obliterated because of God's holiness. Wow, that's God. And he saves us. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, it's wonderful. That's the gospel. It, it's, there's more. There's always more. Larry. That's right. But so many times in the, in the Old Testament, he, he will couple that. He'll say that, that God is slow to anger, but abundant in loving kindness and compassion. That's right. Loving kindness and truth. That's right. And, and it just, the earliest I found it was in, in uh, Exodus. Mm-hmm. It, it may be in. Yeah, maybe. Yep. Yeah, that's right. You know that. But yeah. it's also in the Psalms, like Psalms. Oh yeah, you know David especially. It would it would flow off of his pen uh, uh, quite a bit. You know this reality. Uh, you know it's it's so basic to us, but we can sometimes. That's right. It, it's that moment that as believers, you know, we have the answer to what seems like an unanswerable question. How can he be abundant in steadfast love and that chesed mercy uh, and, and at the same time by no means clear the guilty? It doesn't make sense unless we look at Jesus in the middle. You know, uh, people always talk about, um, uh, you know, the, the love uh, that we have, that the Lord, you know, forgave us. Uh, and that, you know, it's just so, so beautiful, and it is, but there's an intensity to it as well because the Lord doesn't clear the guilty. There had to be payment. There had to be blood. There was a reality that if there was no sacrifice on the cross, if blood was not shed, there was no salvation. And so, you know, there's an intensity who God is truly 100%. Count it as capital T truth alongside of the abundant mercy. He will not clear the guilty. Yeah, that, that's the work of Jesus. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that, is that he bore the guilt. He actually sustained damage uh, on our behalf. Yeah. Much worse than Nineveh, by the way. God's judgment upon Nineveh, God's judgment upon Christ. Uh, this, is, this is peas and carrots compared to what Jesus Christ would have taken on on the cross for the sins of his people. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for the book of Nahum. Lord, thank you that you raise up prophets of old to proclaim not only judgment, oh, Father, but deliverance. Lord, thank you that we can call you Father. Thank you that you have revealed Jesus Christ, your Son. May we be followers of Jesus Christ in our daily walks. May we be encouraged by your word. Indeed, may we be encouraged by Nahum. Humble us by Nahum. Empower us by Nahum, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.